Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. Welcome, one and all, to the first Monday in the month of October here on Monday Football Monday on the SB Nation NFL Show. A reminder before we keep going that this show is brought to you by our friends at DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code SBNFL for a special offer when you sign up. That is code SBNFL. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. As noted, this is Monday Football Monday on the SB Nation NFL show, which means we love to talk about the NFL. We're about to talk about all of the week four Sunday action across the National Football League. Make sure to subscribe, though, to the SB Nation NFL show, wherever you get your podcast, leave a rating, write a review. Those things fill our hearts with joy. If you prefer to watch the production, you can do so on the SB Nation NFL YouTube channel, where you will see and hear the visual and audio stylings of the fantastic Rachel Prevet from Bleeding Green Nation, who keeps this ship afloat. My name is Arjo Cho from Blog on the Boys, and with me from SBNation.com is JP Acosta and Mark Schofield. And JP, I would like to ask you, can you imagine not having your favorite team get a win on Sunday of Week 4? I cannot imagine this. Rachel cannot imagine this. Can you Imagine this, JP. Imagine having a team only score three points. I cannot imagine this. I, I cannot. Uh, Mark Schofield of the uh, the Massachusetts metropolis area. Can you imagine this? I'm just here so I don't get fined. I'm just going to sit here in silence for 60 minutes so Michael Kist can't find me or fire me. Yesterday was miserable. It was absolutely brutal. Um I don't know how to put into words the the thoughts that were going through my head when I saw Mac Jones after getting away with it three plays earlier, again, roll out to his right and throw back to his left like he's in some sort of movie, like he's Johnny Moxon playing for West Canaan, the Coyotes, and make Bud Kilmer angry. That was brutal to watch. That was absolutely brutal to watch. The only saving grace is that I could turn it off and focus on some other games. Um, these are dark times. These are dark times around Patriots fans. We've had some dark times before, but this is something completely different. There is growing murmuring around the future of Bill Belichick, how long he's going to stick around, whether he's going to get to Shula. Um, dark times, dark times. And I know, thanks to our rules, I'm going to have to talk a little bit more about this game, which I'm really not excited about. So, um, as I said before we hit record, can we just get this over with, man? Because this is going to be a rough, rough, rough hour for me. Um, well, we haven't even started talking about the game, Mark, just for full context. Uh, so it's great to hear that you're already in yep, a positive I'm great, place for I'm that. Good. Uh, it is a, 
it is a victory poll on Monday for me um, and for JP and for Rachel, as noted. Um, we will recap all of the week four Sunday action. Um, and some of us will commiserate over it. Um, if Again, that isn't painfully uh, obvious at this point in time. Uh, JP, your team uh, got the day started off bright and early with the dub across the pond. They'll hope to do so again, obviously. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get there as well. Um, we were talking about Disney World a little while ago. Did you enjoy the Toy Story broadcast? Don't give us your full thoughts because we weren't we're talking about the game, but you're kind of just one sentence lead. It was it was kind of goofy at times. I think there are some technical difficulties, but overall, I enjoyed it. Okay, well, let's actually start with these two games, and then we'll kind of cruise through the rest of Week Four. Mark, I get. I mean, we've kind of we can't like you know put the toothpaste back in. Um, the Dallas Cowboys handed Bill Belichick the worst loss that he's ever seen uh, as an NFL head coach. Which um, look. I understand who the Patriots are, Mark, but you can't take that away from me. Like, that is super cool. Like, I'm I'm putting that on my mantle no matter what. Um, you mentioned Mac Jones. Not a great day for him. 38-3, the final score. It was 28-3 at one point in time, um, which surely gave Dan Quinn some horrible flashbacks um, from up above serving as the Cowboys defensive coordinator. Um, it was not a great day for the Cowboys offense in the red zone, Mark. They did finally get a touchdown at the very end with Hunter Lipke, but um, it was just kind of a, you know, leave everything in front of you and hope the Patriots pee down their leg um, and they managed to do it down both legs. That was just the way. It yeah, went. I don't think it could add anything to that. I mean, you just pretty much summed it up perfectly. They managed to pee down both legs. Um, I, I think we also saw the importance of Christian Gonzalez to this secondary because he goes out in the very next play, CD Lamb touchdown against Bryant, and just went right after where Gonzalez would have been. You know, it tells you what he means to the secondary. Now we've got Matthew Judon with a bicep tendon issue, and he may be sidelined indefinitely. He may be out for the year, may require surgery. Um, worst blowout loss of the Belichick era, as you said. And this certainly feels different because, again, 28-3, it's different years ago when you've got 12. Now you've got 10. And Mac Jones, whether it was last year in the experiment with Matt Patricia, whether it's just Mac Jones, who he is and what his limitations are as a quarterback, it doesn't seem to be working right now. Yes, there's a lot of football left, and there's been some improvements to this offense. It looks better than it did last year. But that's not asking much for this offense to be better than it was last year. So it's bad. Yes, I know I've seen the discussions about the Cowboys' red zone struggles I think that sort of gets to the error band that you have with this defense. This defense is going to be so good that you can have some struggles in the red zone at times and still come away with wins. You'll need to do it against teams much better than New England. But from my perspective, this was rough, and it doesn't seem to be getting better in New England. JP, as an independent observer, what were your takeaways from both the Cowboys and the Patriots? Um, in one of the more boring, let's be straight up about it, games uh, of the day, only three games in the afternoon slate. Maybe stop doing that NFL, but JP. Um. From a Patriots perspective, it just feels like Mac Jones is trying to do too much. I tweeted it during the game. Mac Jones makes a lot of passes that he does not have the facilities for. He has not unlocked that level of play yet. This is like um, in Elden Ring. When you go, like the first thing you do, try to fight the tree sentinel, and you immediately get destroyed. That's what Mac Jones is doing right now. He is on level one, and you ran into a guy with a giant hammer. That's not good. It feels like he is constantly trying to be a superhuman make superhuman throws like the crossbody throw that Deron Bland took back for a touchdown just that doesn't make sense for anybody outside of Mahomes or Josh Allen and even then you're like hey you're pushing it with those two guys it just feels like the offense Mac Jones has played relatively fine this year but this was 
objectively like one of the worst games he's played in his career. Like it was just bad from start to finish. I don't know where the Patriots go from here. I do know they need a lot on offense outside of quarterback. I think they need a legitimate wide receiver one. They have a bunch of complimentary targets. But they don't have a go-to guy. Um, defensively, again, they're fine. They just are playing a lot. Like, they're always on the field. And now with Judon and Gonzalez out, you only really have one true three-down outside linebacker in Keon White. That's probably going to be a problem if Judon's out for a long time. Um, it's going to get bad before it gets good again for the Patriots. It might be bad for quite a while. Um, from the Cowboys' perspective, I am a little worried about the red zone offense. Yeah, it's that's fair. It's not because, like, oh, I don't think they can score in the red zone. It's just they do so much dumb shit in the red zone. It's not like the plays don't make sense. It's just stupid. Like It's like drop pass or fumble or false start that knocks you out of the red zone. It's those types of small penalties that, you know, the Cowboys want to be a great team. Those are the margins that separate the good from the great. It hasn't really affected them because they haven't played an offense or a defense that can punish them for it. But next week, you're going to play a team that will punish you if you do not score seven in the red zone. That's going to be the real litmus test for this offense. They can move the ball fine within the 20s, but you start to constrict yourself a lot when you get into the red zone. And a lot of that self, uh, self-inflicted errors. Um. The Cowboys visit the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday Night Football in Week 5. They also visit the L.A. Chargers two weeks from the day on Monday Night Football. So definitely two high-powered offenses that they're going to have to go a bit more shot for shot with. Uh, the C.D. Lamb touchdown that Mark, you touched on, the broadcast mentioned this as well, uh, funny enough, came from just outside of the red zone. Um, so it doesn't count, you know, uh, from that perspective. Um, it's, you know, the red zone thing was a bit of a larger talking point for the Cowboys last week coming off of the loss. And, it, you know, how things go, it gets a little bit more swept under the rug when when you blow out a team. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, it's it's something they're going to have to fix or else, you know, all this other stuff is going to be for not. Because right now you are kind of more in the company of the whatever, 2000 Ravens, 2002 Bucks, 2015 Broncos. Like you're not well-rounded, um, despite the fact that you have a lot of pieces on offense that we like. Mark, did the Cowboys do anything to impress you that wasn't upsetting you at the same time? I mean, there, there were some things that Dak did in that game, you know, from a taken advantage of what New England was giving him perspective that I did like. There were a lot of times when New England was trying some zone coverages and things like that where he knew exactly where to go to football. This is what we do like those of us that are sort of in Dak's corner that we do like about him from the mental perspective side of the game, from the development that we've seen from him over the course of his NFL career. We did some things in, in this game that I thought were really impressive, but at the same time, like, you know, I, I, I said that the sort of red zone inefficiency, you know, the error band and what the defense can do can certainly minimize that. It is an issue when you start playing good teams, it will probably be an issue even when you start talking about playing the 49ers, which I think is a game we're all looking forward to. But look, this was a nice performance, a solid performance from Dak Prescott in this offense against a defense that at least coming into the game, we thought was going to be and still could be one of the league's better ones. The Gonzalez injury certainly hurt New England. But I thought the offense did some good things in this game. But again, from my perspective, this was about, my goodness, this is a low point. This is like... Monday night, 2014, against the Kansas City Chiefs, we're on to Cincinnati game. Now they went on and made a nice little run that year. I don't see that kind of run happening this year. 
Um, definitely feels like a um, an inflection point in the post Brady Bill Belichick New England Patriots era. Um, like a lot of decisions could kind of hang in the balance. Obviously, Bailey Zappi got in this game. You know, we'll see how that goes. Um, good job, Cowboys. Anyway, uh, let's move on. JP, we touched on it. Might as well get it out of the way. Uh, not that it's not important, but the Jacksonville Jaguars, London's team uh, got the win, uh, both inside of Wembley Stadium and Andy's room. Uh, 23 to 7, the final score. Uh, super happy for UJP and for the Jaguars bouncing back after uh, a tough loss against the Texans that maybe doesn't look as tough based on what we saw on Sunday. Uh, but honestly, this game was kind of more about Atlanta being gross. Um, like I, I just, I, I tweeted this, the Falcons offense makes me like football less. Desmond Ritter ain't it. I'm sorry. That's just, that cannot, you cannot win long-term with Desmond Ritter as the quarterback. He actively lost you that game in the first half. Two interceptions, one's a pick six. Then the next drive, he immediately throws an interception. It's not just that. It's every play has to be a superhuman play by whoever he's throwing the ball to. Like the first down Bijan Robinson had on third and eight. He has to catch the ball with one hand, shake a defender, and just barely get a first down. That's the kind of things that the Falcons offense, you're putting a whole lot more on the shoulders of everybody else if the quarterback just cannot hit a throw. You know, and that's that's a problem, you know, that whether it be because Arthur Smith doesn't trust him or Arthur Smith in designing the offense really well, which I think he's a pretty good offense designer. That's Ritter just isn't it from the Jaguars perspective. Great bounce back game for the defense. You needed this. Josh Allen looked phenomenal. Uh, the past the secondary looked great. I think Andre Cisco is a budding star in the secondary at safety. He played phenomenal. Offense, I still have a little bit of, little bit of question marks. They still look kind of sluggish. And I think people are going to blame Press Taylor a lot. But Press Taylor was calling plays in the back half of last season, too. This isn't like, this isn't a major Press Taylor problem. You cannot call plays when you cannot block. Your entire offensive game plan changes when you know you can't block. The Jaguars offense is so horizontal because they know they can't block. So this team needs Cam Robinson back and Cam Robinson isn't even that much of a needle mover, you know? So it's going to be interesting week five against the bills. It's, it, it can get ugly, but I think this Jaguars team is going to be ready. Mark the Jaguars bills game. Um, we're all looking forward to Dallas, San Francisco next week, but Jacksonville Buffalo kind of a great start to the day. Um, I mean, kind of, might wind up being a better game than Buffalo Miami. And again, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, look, the Jaguars, and we've been talking about this, about other teams, like the Eagles are stumbling, but they're four and out. Like if you can be undefeated while you're stumbling, that's a really good problem to have Jaguars. You know, they have stabilized things enough. Like, I think it's, it's fair to kind of come back and, and, and reconcile the fact that they are a playoff team. They might be still the favorite in this division. If Houston doesn't catch lightning in a bottle here. I mean, the Calvin Ridley touched on really nice, really nice. Trevor Lawrence had some wheels, um, and they beat up on a, on a bad team. Like they kind of checked all the boxes. I understand it wasn't like fulfilling uh, for a Jaguars fan like JP, but it was a, a solid outing and the, you know, kind of right way to bounce back. After yeah. That. And you never apologize for winning games in the NFL, especially when you have to like travel, like across the Atlantic to win in London. Like you just want to get that W and get back on the plane. And that's exactly what Jacksonville did. I think it was interested to see Trevor use his legs a little bit, in, or especially early in this game. I think that's something that could certainly help this team. Dan Orlovsky talked about it on the broadcast as it was happening. Like, you know, if you're struggling at times to create, if you're struggling at times to run the ball or create some explosives, 
especially a quarterback as athletic as Lawrence, like get his legs involved, do it in designed plays. Like when he's got opportunities, when you see man coverage and you see five names running away from you on the backs of jerseys to tuck it and go. And he did that as well. You know, I think from Atlanta's perspective, yeah. Desmond Ritter is slow with his reads, slow to get the ball out, and at times he's inaccurate. That's not a good combination for an NFL quarterback. Like, And he's got to get faster with his decisions because Smith has decided some stuff that, you know, maybe it's not the most creative in terms of a passing game, but he's getting some receivers open. He's got opportunities to make throws. He's just not getting to his progressions quickly enough he's not getting the ball out quickly enough and then when you've got say two and a half three yards of separation by the time you get the ball out it's down to one that feeds into what jp's talking about it asks the receivers london Pitts, and company to have to make superhuman plays that's not a recipe for success that's a that's the mitchell trubisky recipe to becoming a career backup because that's what trubisky was doing and that's what you're seeing right now from ritter and so he's gonna fix it or they've got to address this position is taylor heineke the the best option for them right now i don't know but we're getting close to that territory kirk cousins on the atlanta falcons in 2024 that would be such a funny just combination of player and city and team i think i've ever seen kirk Cousins. that, in that a- aside i mean that's a, a massive leap forward for atlanta offensively i mean like again people can can say what they want and and, you know i know you're not bagging on kirk but i mean it's easy to do uh but still i mean like that would significantly like they have become we have it every year like the you know musical chair last team standing you're you're a quarterback away the jets obviously this year the broncos once upon a time um the vikings once upon a time obviously landing kirk cousins um maybe the jets will be that in the offseason again who knows but the falcons are set up to be that right like they're gonna be you know kirk cousins gonna be on the market like how can this not happen at this point in time? Like, what would be their better option? I mean, like, I know it's only week five now, but, like, that that has to be what they're focused on. I mean, if you want someone with familiarity with Arthur Smith's offense, Ryan there Tannehill. Are you telling me you would prefer <laughs> Ryan Tannehill if you're a Falcons fan? That is silly, JP. It's silly, but it also would be the best quarterback they've had since Matt Ryan left. That is not saying anything like that's yeah but i mean how much would cousins cost compared to Tannehill? you've got the built-in like jp said the familiarity with the with this offense and Tannehill was playing at an almost elite level under arthur smith like you you're just you're not you don't need a great quarterback with the weapons that they have with Bijan, with Pitts, with london you need a good quarterback an average nfl quarterback and Tannehill could get you that at a fraction of the price i bet i think it's silly in general when we when like a collection of people goes from one team to another and then we get like hyped up about it because they're just like reuniting um like i thought it was silly when you know the commander signed curtis samuel because it was like oh man like he was awesome for ron rivera in carolina and then he when he said antonio gibson's going to be christian mccaffrey it's like dude i mean let's just relax I, I, I actually have a bone to pick with ron rivera so might as well go to that game next uh the washington commanders fell in philadelphia where they won last season in overtime, 34 to 31 at Jake Elliott field goal was enough to get the Eagles to 4 0. Have either of you seen uh, why Ron Rivera explained or what his explanation was for not going for two? The commanders tied it at the literally at the end of regulation and he kicked the extra point and he said that his offense was gassed, Mark. That's why he didn't go for two. Yeah. His offense was too gassed to go for two, but not enough to play an entire overtime. Yeah, it's period. an interesting decision. And, you know, I thought the whole sort of adage here was you go for the wood on the road. If you're at home, you sort of live to fight another day. Like, 
Or if, or you're, if the you're the underdog. underdog. Like, like you're you're the get, you've just win. gone down the field. You've got to put yourself in a position to win the game. Win the game. Like, don't let it come down to fate, a coin toss, get in a stop if you have to, all of those sorts of things that have to go right to win it over time. You've got a chance right in front of you to, to win the game. Take that chance. Like, it, it was a – especially having just gone down the field to score. Like, I don't care if the offense is tired. Like, get a couple of subs in. Like, you can figure this out. You've got people that can make plays. Like, go win the game. So, I kind of get it. Oh, JP. I know hindsight is very 2020, but the commanders got the ball first in overtime. They could have they could have won the game. Right. But you could have know you were gonna get the ball first in overtime. I I and I get that. I get that. It's just he's you know, he has a whole moniker about being a gambler and like a going for it yeah, type of dude. Ron and like in, yeah, like and in the in the moment that, that Mark is talking about, not only like on the road, not only an underdog, but against the like reigning division champion of the division you're in, the like the, the class of the NFC, you you just like punt? What? That is so lame. But I guess the reason I say I kind of understand is because if the offense really was like gassed, like he said, you you don't want to go into a game winning, like potential game winning try with the fourth, the third, fourth, and fifth best receivers on the team on the field. You know, you want to have everybody else on the field. You want to have your best players on the field at 100%. You know, that's something that, that's something that you want to try and do on, on the offensive side of the ball. So I kind of understand what he was trying to get at. But at the same time, like, just win the game in overtime. You, you, had, the, you had the chance to win the game in overtime, and you went three and out. That's... Yeah, That's but really they, they had also okay, given so up 21 points, I think. Yeah, 21 points in the second half on defense. So you're playing for overtime, and you think you might need a stop. Your defense has given up 21 points in the second half. This is an offense in the Eagles that was sputtering a little bit early. And, yes, to JP's point, to RJ's point, you know, a sputtering 4-0 team is still a 4-0 team. But they had seemed to get some things clicking in the second half offensively. Philadelphia did. They had just gone down and scored, you know, and some people wondered, did they score too early? Are you going to really trust your defense in that point? You've given up 21 points. Go win the game now. I have two takes on this. One, so as you mentioned, JP, they won the coin toss, right? So, like, what's the difference in actual, like, time? Or what is the time difference? Uh, I just changed the order of those words in terms of like when they would have gone for two and the first snap of overtime, which was theirs. Like we're talking like five minutes, like five, five minutes of real time that passed by that, you know, from the coin toss to the kickoff, whatever. So like, does the gas go away in five minutes? And now you have to drive the length of the field as opposed to just one two point conversion. You know what I'm saying? So like, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. I would have somewhat respected it. And I recognize that Ron Rivera can't say this. So this might be true. I mean, the Eagles are sputtering. So I would have respected if, if Ron Rivera had been like, hey, man, like, we weren't necessarily afraid of the Eagles offense. So, like, we kind of thought we could hang with them. You know, like, I get maybe this is like the, like, you know, covering yourself answer that you have to do, you know, when you're behind a microphone. But, okay, to that point, JP, like, again, they're 4-0. And so, like, no apologies necessary from the Eagles here. But, like, they do not look like themselves from last season. I think they're still trying to figure out what their answers are and I think Brian Johnson and Sean Desai are still trying to figure out what the answers are for this offense and defense. I think the offense especially is kind of sputtered. They've kind of had lulls where, hey, it doesn't look that great in the passing game, but 
with the floor that they have offensively with that offensive line, that run game, it probably won't matter. So this is, I think they're still trying to figure out what they can do. I think they're still trying to figure out the intermediate parts of the passing game because we knew what Jalen Hurts can do. He can throw the ball deep and he won't turn the ball over. Now you got to try and find the intermediate areas. And that's something they're still trying to work on. But that I think they'll ultimately be fine. But it is something to look out for. Like if you can't hit the deep passes like he did to A.J. Brown on Sunday, what are they going to go to? Mark, it's weird to be worried if you're a 4-0 team. Are you worried about the Philadelphia Eagles? I'm not worried about the Eagles yet, but I think the pockets of the Eagles fan base that are a little bit concerned about this team, that are a little bit concerned about this offense, there's reasons to be you know, in that camp. I'm not, but I understand why people are, because deep ball success can be noisy. You know, and like GP said, if you're not hitting that, you need some other things to sort of hand yourself on offensively. You know, some of the stuff that they, they were doing last year, sort of attacking underneath in the middle of the field, teams are sort of taking that away a little bit. They're not as efficient as they have been in the past. And so, you know, if the deep ball success goes away, then what is this offense going to be? And I think that's it's sort of a forward thinking concern. It's like, OK, well, if we don't have the kind of afternoon we saw yesterday, what is this offense going to be able to do, especially when you start playing? you know, teams like Dallas down the road and some of the other good teams in the NFC that they're going to see on their schedule. What is that offense going to look like in those games? Mm. Um, well, Ron Rivera blew it. I don't care what you say, JP. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Anyway, let's move on um, to a weirdly exciting game. Like sometimes like the meme-ness of a game makes it really funny. The Bears-Broncos game was legitimately riveting and interesting uh, with some meme drip to it, obviously. Um, JP, the Denver Broncos, according to DVOA, which is now accessible at FTN Fantasy, have the worst defense ever through four games of a season, the first four games of a season, in the, in the DVOA era, which stems all the way back to 1981. But they won 31-28. to Justin Fields looked awesome. Again, representative of what I just noted. Um, I don't know that you feel great about this if you're a Broncos fan, but at least you're not 0-4. <laughs> <laughs> I just – this was such a weird game, man. Justin Fields was, like, perfect through the first half. Like, legitimately missed one pass, and that was a Hail Mary at the end of the first half. The Broncos' defense looks horrendous. And that's a shocking thing because kind of the, the thought was when while the offense with Russ and Sean Payton is starting to kind of get its feet under them, the defense would kind of carry them to some wins. It'd be kind of like low-scoring games. That hasn't happened. I think Vance Joseph has kind of wrecked this defense a little bit. And it's going to be a difficult scheme change, of course. But. When it rains, it pours, if you're the Bears. When it rains, it pours, and it just keeps raining. You can't – you can never win. You re- This is really, like – has there objectively been, like, 
a worse couple of weeks for an entire football franchise that strictly was happening to with on the field stuff. Like, I don't think it gets much worse. We get Commanders uh, Bears Thursday night, kids. Oh, it might actually get worse. But- I don't know. Like, the Commanders are kind of, like again, they're yeah. competent, right? Like, th- this is this this is a way more improved Commanders Bears than last. That's year, true, right? Like, you know, so sure, but that's fair. It's not the you know, it, it's not what the name implies. Um, Mark, you are our resident QB guru. Were you impressed by anything Justin Fields did, or were you offering the handicap that is, again, literally the worst defense of the first four games of a season? Yeah, I mean, look, he threw for over 300 yards for the first time in his career, which is a notable accomplishment. But I think everything has to get the context of this was against one of the worst defenses we have seen in recent football memory. Like this, Patrick Sertan is a fantastic cornerback, but this is a bad defense right now in Denver. And, And to not win this game, like for Chicago, I guess they could take solace of the fact that if the draft were tomorrow, they'd have picks one and two. And you maybe see Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. walk through that door. But I think everything that we saw from Fields yesterday has to give you through the lens of this is a bad defense. I wish I could sit here and say that, like, look, you know, Fields has sort of figured it out, that Getsy has sort of figured it out, that they're going to piece it all together and they're going to be okay offensively. And Fields is going to take that leap. But I'm pretty far from saying that right now. Yeah, um, it's I'm sad. Yeah. Like I think we're all sad. We were all we were rooting. Yeah, for we were rooting for you. Right? We were like, all you rooting know, for you. Th- this was this was supposed to be real. Um, so it's a bummer to have to admit that what we saw is more indicative. Like, and I don't know anyone who's like to your point, Mark. Like, oh no, this was it. Like, it all finally clicks. No. Like, I think everyone's everyone kind of like, like, no, it's Denver. Uh, Do it against a different team, yeah. and maybe we'll talk. Hey, yeah, I'm but. Really- Go ahead, JP. This Commanders game is going to be, I think Mark highlighted it in our football court we posted a couple weeks ago. This is going to be a very big inflection point for this team because the Commanders pose a lot of problems for the Bears defensively or for the Bears offense, especially up front because the Commanders have one of the best defensive lines in uh, in the NFL. And, you know, it's it's going to be difficult for Justin Fields to get anything going. So this is going to be a major inflection point. I know you said like, yeah, these are both like improved teams than we saw last year, but I don't think the bears have improved that. No, I mean, I think RJ was saying that the commanders have improved enough. So that like last year we wrote 10 things you should do other than watch bears commanders. We literally wrote that piece at .com. Like, I don't think we, have to write that piece this year because the commanders have improved to a point where it's like, okay, this might be, you know, a passable NFL game on Thursday night, but the bears have not taken any steps forward since last year. Last year, Carson Wentz was in this game. You know what I mean? Like again, and the bears are so bad that now it's, it's funny. You know what I mean? Like it's not just bad, bad. And so the commanders could be interesting and plucky, um, but whatever, that's a week five problem. And thankfully we won't have to talk about that game because it's on Thursday night. Um, the noon slate on Sunday featured some really tight contests all the way around. Obviously, this was one of them, weirdly, to your point, JP. Uh, the L.A. Rams, Mark, almost collapsed as badly as the Chicago Bears, uh, but they got the overtime win themselves, 29-23. to 23. Puka Nakua is real. Like, it's it's a real thing. It's no longer, it's no longer just like a funny fantasy thing. 
He is for real. Matthew Stafford's kind of back a little bit. I think we're all interested to see what this team looks like when Cooper Cup returns. Kyron Williams uh, is going to be the greatest fantasy football waiver claim of all time, it seems. Uh, the Rams, two and two, and kind of back in the conversation. In yeah, and, you know, you, you think about where the Rams are right now. You know, even their losses, I don't know about that since he lost, but the San Francisco one-score loss, like, kind of looks impressive right now. And I know they had to kick a late field goal as time expired to get it to seven, but still. Stafford got... It's kind of a kind of a questionable, questionable field goal, goal yeah. mattered to some people more than others. Stafford got banged up late in that game. Like I thought he was going to come out. He was labored. It looked like that hip was really bothering him. But obviously, hunting there and won the puka that is real. It's going to be very curious to see his usage chart when Cooper Cup comes back. Are they going to be sort of interchangeable like we've seen with this Rams offense in the past? Or are they going to have one do one thing, one do the other? I don't know. But that's going to be fun to track schematically. Sort of a gutty win for the Rams. As for the Colts, look, Anthony Richardson's fun. He's legit. Like, And I know they end up losing that game, and there are some struggles early, but he was making some throws. He was doing some things in the pocket. There was a play I actually tweeted out earlier where they burn a stunt. He's got a free runner in his face, just spins away from him, flips the shoulders, makes a throw on the move. Like, This game is not too fast for him at all. I know that was a lot of the concerns about him coming out since he didn't play a ton on Florida, but he's going to be he's gonna be good. So with Anthony Richardson, first people gotta ignore the box yeah. score. Ignore the box score. He went eleven for twenty-five. Don't look at the box score. Watch the game. It was awesome. There was a pass he threw to Michael Pittman Jr. with Aaron Donald, like actively sacking him. Right. Anthony Richardson throws the ball forty yards downfield on a rope, and he connects with Michael Pittman Jr. That's like one of one throws. That's like, hey, you're starting to you're starting to think of like. Josh Allen and like Cam Newton, you're starting to think of those guys. You can see what you wanted with Shane Steichen and, and Anthony Richardson. This Colts offense was a proof of concept going into year one. They weren't going to win a lot of games. The stats weren't going to look that great, but you wanted to see the bones of the offense. You wanted to see what the idea was. And you're starting to see it a lot. And now you're getting the execution behind it. And you're thinking, hey, maybe you can. Coax Jonathan Taylor into coming back, wanting to actually play for the Colts. Maybe you can turn this into something cool. That sounded like you had like a a, a second, you know, point. No, like I, it's just something cool. That's where we're that's where we're walking well, off on the Colts. Maybe maybe it'll be something <laughs> cool. I think Matt Stafford for the Rams, he's he's fun to watch, man. It's so fun watching him go into trick shot mode where he's like. Side-arming passes in the middle of the field. Pukunakua is amazing. I think the you I think the numbers are going to go down when Cooper Cup comes back, but I think the usage will remain the same. Like what he does will be the same. He just won't put up those monster numbers again because it's Cooper Cup. Like that's that's the guy they're gonna throw the ball to. But as long as they got Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup, they're going the Rams are going to be a competitive team. And speaking of Jonathan Taylor. It's another team that, like, hey, if somebody no. you think you can let Kyron Williams prosper, JP, get the hell out of here with that. No, I, I actually won't. I think Leslie has known has been known to uh not want to make draft picks. Hey, if you think you can make if you think you can make a run with Stafford in the playoffs this year, you go trade for Jonathan Taylor. You. You go try. You go try and get that guy who will make you more explosive in the run game. 
No, thanks. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, the um, I agree with you on the proof of concept thing. Like the, the arrows pointing up in Indianapolis for the first time in a very, very long time. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Andrew Luck retired on them abruptly. And it was a really difficult challenge that they had to overcome. So, like, you know, you have to give them, like, 12 years to get over that. Um, anyway, uh, the Buffalo Bills really – this was a, a kick-ass game. And th this was a, a put-the-league-on-notice game. Uh, everybody talked about the Dolphins dropping 70 points last week. Did not matter. The Buffalo Bills outclassed them in just about every way, 48 to 20. Uh, I mentioned uh, DVOA earlier. I saw uh, Aaron Schatz tweet about this. Um, the Bills are the best three and one team ever, according to DVOA. Uh, again, kind of a unique thing. Uh, but they have really been on fire ever since dropping the, the Monday Night Football game to open the season mark. And Josh Allen's been on fire. He took a lot of heat for, obviously, the turnovers in that game. Um, I'm still questionable myself, uh, but this was a really sound overall operation from Buffalo, kind of putting Miami back in their place a little bit, at least in their eyes. Yeah, and, you know, every week it's sort of fun, even if he has a game like he did against the Jets in week one, to turn on Josh Allen and just see some, okay, just stop it. Stop with this kind of moments from him. And this game was filled with those kind of moments. He had one play early in the game where he's like, throwing a deep out route, right hash mark to left sideline, and he's backing away from pressure, and it's off his back foot, can't step into it, and it's an absolute rope. He had the touchdown pass where he's, like, falling down. He's just a freak alien, and it, it doesn't he doesn't have to play perfect. He doesn't have to, like, not take any chances. Like, he needs to sort of balance things, and I thought what we saw, you know, in this game against Miami was he's still making some aggressive decisions, but they're good decisions. They're smart decisions. He's still doing some things where he might be falling down, but making a tough throw and he's delivering on it. He, you're not going to stop him from doing that. You're going to let him sort of be who he is. And there was a statement game from them. It was a statement game when the rest of the world and the media is saying, oh man, Dolphins are 3-0, their best team in football, stuff like that. And they say, look, we've still got a championship window of our own here. It starts with number 17. And the other thing that was notable was as they built their lead, you saw them start to sort of take away what Miami wanted to do in the run game in the past game, sort of leaned into some two deep coverages as well as you got into the third quarter and things like that. They were still able to get pressure because Tua had to hold on to the football. This is a sort of, yep, we're still here kind of moment from Buffalo. Yeah, it was – they little brother them. Yeah. It was – that, that was big brother, you know. Um when Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs are playing like this, they you really can't stop them. And Cater Kohu didn't play too bad, but it's just when Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen are in that mode, they're impossible to stop. You know, the third touchdown he had where he fakes going in and puts Cater Kohu in kind of the blender and he scores the touchdown, that's just unguardable. It's unguardable. I think Ken Dorsey had a great game plan in using Dalton Kincaid, the way that they isolated the running backs on the linebackers, with they isolated Kincaid with the linebackers. It was a really solid overall game plan. It was executed really well. But Bills also, also kind of kicked ass in the run game, too. That was something that kind of surprised me as well. Defensively, that defensive line dominated. That was really – they got after the Dolphins. Like, not only – in the passing game, but they kind of shut them down up front. Uh, before the game, I was thinking the, the game is going to be won with that interior defensive line against the interior offensive line, and the Bills were able to shut that down. They were able to take away the run game and force the Dolphins to be one-dimensional. 
they're still one of the best teams in the league. You know, that's they're always going to be there and they haven't gotten Von Miller back. And that's kind of another thing that we haven't really thought about. Like, hey, they're going to get Von Miller back in the middle of this season. And that's going to help turn up that pass rush a whole lot more. Um, I don't mean to do this because it really bothers me when people do this about the Cowboys, but like, cool, man. Like we've seen the bills crush it. Like, you know, before we fall back on the clock, we don't, are we still doing that? I know that was, um, the contentious thing, like in the government, do you guys know? I really don't like if we're, if we're going to fall back this year, like, that was, that was up for debate. Like that's a real thing. Um, so you're, yeah, you're both I, looking wait, like, I'm where are you going this with this? <laughs> I'm, that was a real that's a real like there's uh some confusion on whether or not we're the fallback spring forward thing is going to continue happening. Oh, that's what you're talking about. Okay, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. there was some potential legislation. So, I, I as a matter of fact, we might be getting rid of anyway, it, but yeah. Thank you, Mark. Finally, I mean, man, you guys are acting like I was an alien. No, I thought you were here. talking like, about like government point. shutdowns or something. I was like, what are we doing with this? <laughs> I was like, whoa. No. So my point is like in the time before we fall back, which you know conventionally has been like kind of mid to late October. Right. Like Buffalo can dominate in the Josh Allen era. We know that. Like, and so again, I don't mean to be the like prove it to me in the playoffs guy, but like, so this was par for the course in that sense. And it was super impressive that they humbled Miami, uh, that they kind of retook all the hype in the throne or whatever you want to call it. But, you know, it's a long season. To your point, JP, Von Miller comes back. Holy crap. Maybe we really are cooking with gas. Maybe it all really has come to pass. Maybe you needed the scars that the Bengals gave you over the course of recent history to kind of realize your true potential. I don't know. Uh, but either way, this was an impressive job and it looked like it was going to be the like barn burner that we wanted early on. But like, again, credit to the bills. They were, they shut that down and they just kind of, you know, ended it. But, um, okay. There's only, I think one game left that probably isn't fast forwardable. Um, remember we each have a fast forward function that we can utilize on this show. Um, and maybe this does fit that bill for either of you. It was a one score game. The Minnesota Vikings got their first one of the season, 21 to 13 <laughs> JP. I know you're shaking your head, but um it was it was it was the least entertaining one score win of the week i think that that's fair to say um unless you weren't entertained by the bears broncos game uh, but the vikings get on the board they're one and three hope is alive for the vikings on this season however dim it might be jp <laughs> um i don't want to hear anything from the panthers for at least another year nope i'm i'm done here they are not ready yet, and they they you did they act like they were ready? Like did you cannot make an accurate like you cannot make an accurate assumption about Bryce Young until you actually get him actual real NFL wide receivers. Like that's something that has to happen immediately. They have to go get a guy, and you know it it looks rough right now. I think the stats are going to look bad. But you got to watch. He's holding on to the ball a lot because nobody's open. They don't have a guy who can either separate or win at the catch point. And they also don't have a guy who can create in between the holes and zones. You know, that's that's going to be bad. The Panthers are going to be bad until they actually get a NFL wide receiver in that room. Mark, the Vikings, the Vikings impressive. they also get the Chiefs, the Bears, and the 49ers over the next three weeks. The Bears, though. Yeah. So what? They'll be two and five when we get to Halloween? Wouldn't it be the funniest thing ever if the Vikings beat the Chiefs? It'd be funny if they beat and the lose to the Bears. Yeah, that's what would be funny. I mean, look, Cousins had some throws. Justin Jefferson is still fantastic. But, you know, a one-score win over a Carolina team that I think 
you know, Carolina fans can probably admit, okay, this idea of a Bryce Young rookie season playoff berth is not coming to fruition. It's all about getting him developed, getting the weapons and pieces around him somehow next offseason to see what you really have at him next year. Um, this is not like in a hugely inspiring win for Minnesota. Uh, you're one and three now, and those next three games, Bears game aside, you could be staring two and five in the face by Halloween. Um, see, Halloween is probably a better reference to make instead of the fall. Which, by the way, I, I looked it up. We are still doing the sprint ahead fallback thing. The legislation did not get passed, though. So Sunday, okay. November 5th, fallback. Remember, remember the exactly. 5th of November. That's it. That's also uh, the di- that's the day that Marty and the Doc, um, or that Marty went back yeah. in time to, 1955. Yeah. So um, I like when we fall back. I know some people I like get fall- all The spread four is like- the tough one. That's the tough one. Yeah, that's exactly. I like when it's dark at five o'clock. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want that going on. I mean, so whatever. Um, easier for me, though. I'm not East Coast like all of you. Um, let's get to those Chiefs because they looked pretty fallible on Sunday Night Football. Uh, JP, this was the Taylor Swift show. It, we all knew it was going to be, uh, obviously. Um, Travis Kelsey didn't have like a super impressive performance um, in, in the spirit of that. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes had a gross performance. Um, and he was. He had the second best quarterback performance of the game. Zach, Zach Wilson was, I mean, I, I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, but Zach Wilson was a functional player. Certainly gave the Jets opportunities. I don't know if I would say enough opportunities to win. Um, but again, I think lit the flame of optimism amongst Jets fans while the Chiefs kind of kept leaving the door open and Mahomes kept turning the ball over. JP. What team is going to talk themselves into trading for Zach Wilson next the year? The Falcons next year. This is going, that's going to happen. Somebody's going to watch this game and be like, ah, there's something there. We can do something here. I mean, I hate to do this. Like, I hate to be that guy, but do it again. That's that's really what I want to see from Zach Wilson. Do it again. You had, you had a good performance. Put together two good performances. That's something that hasn't happened for Zach Wilson. The consistency hasn't been there. As for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, uh, you just got a goofy. He had some real uh, silly goose kind of throws out there, you know? I think the two interceptions are kind of like, I think I tweeted, it was like, it was like a major brain fart moment where, like, he tried to layer this pass when he didn't have to, and he underthrew it. And I was just like, what are you doing? Like, are you, you sure you want to make that throw? But he is such a, he might be the most effective scrambler in the NFL. And it's not because, like, he's so dynamic as an athlete. It's every time he scrambles, it's a big play. It's, it's a purposeful. Down. It's a purposeful scramble, like you said. He won He won the Chiefs the game with those scrambles. He was, he was so effective in, oh, I'm just going to be just half a second faster than your linebacker. Or you're just going to just barely miss me. And it's kind of to the point where, like, you can't play man because the Jets try to play man against the Chiefs and Holmes just took off. And you can't play man. You can't play zone because Travis Kelsey is going to find the holes in the zone regardless of what route concept is called. You're kind of stuck, you know? And that's what makes the Chiefs so darn hard to defend because you have a quarterback who can just nullify all the problems, whether it be with his legs or with his arm. Um, Mark, the officiating took a lot of heat in this game, a lot of which came from Robert Sala. Um, you could kind of tell, I'm, I'm not a therapist or anything, but you can kind of tell that it was somewhat therapeutic for Robert Sala to, yeah. to finally 
get yeah, something I mean, out. He had a lot um, to get off his chest <laughs> at the end of that game, man. He was just going to let that official have it. I mean, yeah, the officiator wasn't great. I mean, there were calls, there were missed calls and things like that. What I think is interesting is to JP's point about Mahomes, there's so many different ways he could beat you, right? Like even on a night where the passing game was not clicking, he was making some, you know, trying some different things and trying to layer throws and it wasn't clicking. He still finds a way to beat you. And I think this is also interesting from Opta stats on Twitter. Mahomes now has started a total of 127 games in college of the Go off, College of the NFL, right? Okay. The only quarterback to ever have more completions, more passing yards, and more touchdown passes and fewer interceptions than Mahomes in a Mahomes start in college in the NFL is now Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson is one of one. He's it. That's it. That's the list. That is the most absurd thing I've ever thought I've ever heard. Like, think about the quarterbacks Mahomes has played against in college in, in the NFL now, and it's Zach Wilson who's done that. He had the crazy um, – there was that crazy Texas Tech-Oklahoma yeah. game with Baker yeah. on the other side. So, like, you would you would have thought if, like, it had ever happened, it would have been there. Um, to your point, he's, he's matched up against Brady. I mean, Herbert a million times. I mean, like – And it's um, Zach Wilson. Well, JP, to your point about somebody's going to convince themselves to trade for him. So, like, I don't mean to rain on the Jets parade because I like – I tweeted this last night myself, like who wasn't rooting, uh, maybe Mark, but like who wasn't rooting for the Jets and Zach Wilson? Like it was fun. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was, I think we're all like, they've been so down and he's been so down himself. Like it was just kind of nice to see him like have a, a moment of positivity. Um, I mean, I, I agree that he's a professional. And so like, it's fair to hold him to a standard, but like where I feel for Jets fans and not to be, you know, negative about this, but like, we all know what it's like when you've like given up on a player and then like you get that ray of hope and you're prepared to buy back in. And for the Jets, you know, there's a lot of Jets fans on Monday morning that are like, hey, maybe. And JP, to your point, someone's going to talk themselves into it. They play the Broncos next week. The Broncos just inflated Justin Fields. And so like Zach, a week from now, you know, Jets fans are going to say, we don't need it. The Trevor Simeon signing was unnecessary. We can handle this this year with Zach Wilson. And and then it's all just going to fall apart. Like I I that is that is the way this script is going, is it not, Mark? I'm just throwing this out there. Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback Zach Wilson. I think they're okay right now. Um, in fact, um, let's move on and let's go to that game. Remember, we each have our fast forward. Um, they beat the. You can't quite call them Derek Carless um, New Orleans Saints, uh, but you should effectively call them that. Uh, it was a weird game for the Saints. I don't know what their plan is here, Mark. Um, 26 to 9, the final score. Um, the Saints, it just, this feels like the Saints throwing a season away. Like, there's, I mean, I know we had some promise for them because the division looks so bad, but the Bucks have kind of taken the spot that we thought the Saints would have. Yeah, I mean, they have. Um, you know, Baker's played well, but now you get, you know, the Mike Evans hamstring injury, which I think is going to be something to monitor, obviously. You know, I think the Saints. You know, like you said, Derek Carless, in a way, he's banged up. It's early. It's one loss. You hate to lose this game, obviously, um, against a divisional opponent. But I still think, in the end, I have more faith in this Saints team than this Buccaneers team, even with what happened yesterday. Um, but, yeah, just a very weird game. I will say that, look, Baker's looked good. What's it going to look like without Evans? You know, I like a lot of the stuff that they've done concept wise a lot of like half rolls and throwbacks and things like that and maybe this is a very good spot for baker mayfield and so you know maybe the buccaneers prove me wrong here but i still feel a little bit better about the saints going forward gonna get kamara back and fully up to speed i think they'll be okay 
I don't know what to think of this Saints team. I thought going in, like, hey, this team could probably win the division, but even with Derek Carr in the game, the offense has felt disjointed. It just felt like there was nothing, the sequencing of plays. It felt like they were just calling plays and not an established offense, you know. Uh, I have the same complaint about another team we'll probably talk about later on. Um, but it's just, they're such a weird team. I think the defense is fine, but they kind of fell apart late in the game because they were on the field so much. And for Tampa, look, it, the division is open. If you if you think you can make a run, like this is why you why you traded for, or this is why you signed Baker Mayfield. You know, this is. I can't believe I'm saying it, but hey, maybe they could win the division. I don't. I don't know. And if you can say anything with the NFC South, and I'm like, sure, man. Right. Hey, look. Their wins are not, you know, proud and mighty, but their one loss, their lone loss, is against an Eagles team who we think highly of, but that they kind of kept it close-ish against. I mean, you know, it's it, – and I'm not saying that anybody's, like, hating on them, but, like, you know, pay attention. That's all. A little bit. A little bit more than, than bare minimum attention. Um, Let's move on, though. Um, I don't know that the Titans are interesting to any of us, but they oh, are 2-2 two and two now. Um, 27 to three, the final. Oh, you want to fast forward? Who, who offered the fat? Oh, did Rachel, did you offer the fast forward? Okay. Um, then, okay. Uh, one sentence. Um, I imagine you're both going to spend it on the Bengals side of things, but Mark, one sentence after the Bengals lose to the Titans. No, I actually talk about the Titans for a second because Hopkins looked pretty nice in this game. Like they had that like stop and go and he showed some burst on that. And I'm like, okay, well. Maybe there's something to this Titans passing game that we didn't think we were going to see this year. JP, it's time to panic if you're being. <laughs> it's, it's not great. Um, my one sentence is: it's not inconceivable that the Bengals lose in Arizona next week. Um, so, uh, I guess let's move on. Rachel, with the silent fast forward, I respect it so much. Um, Y'all laughed when I said that the Texans could kind of get it together a little bit this year. And so I'm going to take the victories and the dubs where I can. 30-6, to six, the final score. Again, we all still have forwards here at least. Um, J.J. Watt went into the ring of honor. That was just – the vibes were great for the Texans. The Houston Astros wound up winning the AL West when you know the Texas Rangers collapsed. Just a really great day uh, if you're a total Houston sports fan. Mark, C.J. Stroud looks yeah. awesome. He looks fantastic. Um, and a lot of it is the stuff that was sort of advertised, right? Like the ball placement, the anticipation, you know, the, the sort of little things that the pocket passer, you know, needs to do, which is what he was at Ohio State. But you also watch the movement, the athleticism, you know, uh, avoiding pressure, spinning away from pressure, spinning away from blitzes. You know, I wrote about him and how he's created yardage after the catch for some of his receivers. Nico Collins is among the league leaders right now in yardage after the catch, and it's because of the little things like the ball placement and things like that. But Stroud's added in the athleticism, which, look, he, to his credit, he stood at the podium in Indianapolis before the combine and said, look, you know, I probably should have done more of this. People might have thought differently of me as, as a prospect coming out. He looks fantastic. That offense looks fantastic. That defense has created some opportunities as well. You had the scoop and score late in the game for Will Anderson Jr. for a touchdown. And hats off to you, man, because you called it. You said, look, this team's going to be feisty. They certainly are. 
This division looks a little bit interesting right now. There's still a lot of football left to be played, but it's hard not to be impressed with what they've got because that offensive line is banged up too. And look, he hasn't thrown a pick yet. Like Stroud's been great. His defense looks great. Ryan's looks like he's got something cooking here down in Houston. Yeah, hope is back in Houston for the Texans. Coach of the year, I think early front runner because it's kind of like a rookie of the year award yeah. for coaches. You know, you can kind of see D'Amico. He's obviously very popular in the media too. Like, you know, it could definitely work out that way. Um, JP, we know you hate the Texans because you're a Jaguar stand for life. Um, so I do want to hear your thoughts on the Pittsburgh side of things. We'll see what happens with Kenny Pickett. Um, obviously not great. Um, like the injury looked bad and, and he, I mean, very gingerly got off the field, didn't put any pressure on his leg. Uh, but if they have to depend on Mitchell Trubisky for any time at all, um, well, I mean, Tessie, I mean, get this entire offense the hell out of here. I'm sorry. <laughs> this is not good. Get Matt Canada all the way out of here. This is, this is really bad. <laughs> like, the entire concept of this offense is bad. When I talked about a team just running a set of plays without running an offense, this is the team I was talking about. They don't run in offense. They just run plays. They don't do anything cohesive. I don't. The talent is there. You have viable receivers. You address the offensive line. You have the skill position talent. The play caller sucks. He might objectively be the worst play caller in the entire league on the offensive side of the ball. Nothing is good about this right now. They should have gotten rid of him last year before you had the chance to hit rock bottom this year. Even on the Kenny Pickett sack where he got hurt. I think Kenny Pickett also has a large role to play in this because one of the problems I thought Kenny Pickett had last year was he would try, he would create pressure on his own and then try and bail out of that by being a, by thinking he's a better athlete than he actually is. And that's how he got hurt. He bailed on a clean pocket and got hurt. That is a major Kenny Pickett problem, whether it be because of the scar tissue we took at Pittsburgh or not Pittsburgh, like the Steelers, but Pitt, or the the uh, scar tissue we had from his rookie year. This is bad. Like this is, I know it's very proverbial to be like, this is rock bottom. This is rock bottom. This offense hasn't looked good at all this season. And this is, what, the second time out of the first four games of the season they failed to score more than like 10 points in a game? Something's um, got to change. And I think Mike Tomlin was like, yeah, something's got to change at the end of the game because you can't keep going on like this. Uh, Kirk Cousins of the Steelers in 2024. Who says no? But anyway, um, you know how we talked about like Zach Wilson had the like the gave you some hopium game if you're a Jets fan and that that can ultimately be like a hazardous thing if, if you know the player's bad. Um, Najee Harris had a nice game. Um, Jalen Warren's the better back at this point, but like. You know, Najee Harris kind of like I feel like gave some justification to like his his like snap count, which is like a bad scene. Um, so tough times for Pittsburgh, uh, but great times. Rachel, remember this come MFWP time for the Baltimore Ravens. Mark twenty eight to three, the final score against the Deshaun Watson list Cleveland Browns. Uh, DTR, uh, a, a fan favorite among many college football fans, obviously. Um, not a great debut. It was just never going to happen. I mean, this was a, a pretty kind of cruise control victory. Lamar looked great in this game. Like, he looked absolutely fantastic in this game. Forever um, underrated. Derek Clawson was pulling together some clips last night, and he was talking with Josh Norris on, on Twitter. Two great follows there. But they were talking about how when he's got pressure in his face, it's it all seems to sort of slow down for him. 
which is such an incredible trade for a quarterback because a lot of time when you're pressured, you speed yourself up, you get frenetic, you panic. Lamar seems so calm in those moments. And against a defense in Cleveland that everybody, myself included, was saying, hey, them in Dallas might be, in San Francisco, might be the three best defenses in this league. And he goes out and has that kind of game. Absolutely tremendous from him. Like you said, sort of a cruise control victory for the Ravens. But I don't want to sort of over you know, ignore how good Lamar was in this game. MVP. That's, look, man, that's an MVP performance. I know he threw for 187. That's an MVP level performance by Lamar Jackson. The way he can just, I know we talk about it with Patrick Holmes and nullifying pressure. Lamar Jackson nullifies pressure. It's a different way and it looks different than Mahomes and Josh Allen, but he nullifies pressure. And I don't think he gets enough credit for how talented and how good he is as a passer. The touchdown to Mark Andrews, he puts that legitimately. Like that is capital B, capital P, ball placement. He puts that only where Mark Andrews can get it. And again, he's doing this without the left tackle. Right tackle goes out. Both his top two receivers are hurt. He's the MVP. Like it's, He was my MVP pick before the season. I'm still sticking with that. In fact, I think that's kind of strengthened now. That's He's good. The Mark Andrews touchdown was amazing. All credit to Mark, obviously. Uh, well, this Mark, too, but that Mark as well. Um, but it reminded me of the Nelson Aguilar touchdown that we talked about a few weeks ago um, against the Bengals. I mean, like, he he just – he might have the prettiest, like, drops of any NFL quarterback. And I don't know why people hate him. Like, it's, it's so stupid. Like, we're watching one of the greatest – quarterbacks of our lifetimes like he is so much fun to watch um again Rachel, remember all this please um let's move on we have two games left uh the la chargers took down speaking of uh backup quarterbacks the aiden o'connell led um aoc got in yep. this game mark not yeah, that yeah. one um but um 24 17 kind of a boring day except for khalil mack uh, i know you all wrote about this at .com. um holy crap six sacks what? yeah like this this is this is gonna like inflate his average and stuff all season long, which is really unfair. Uh, but it was still a nice showing, especially for him against. Yeah, the- I mean, there were some plays where he won immediately. He won early in the down on those six sacks. There was one where he actually like fans out to jam Josh Jacobs to not let him get into the route. So he's like outside the tackle box, almost to the, like the hash mark, and then comes in for a cleanup sack. So they were getting pressure on AOC from multiple points up front. Chargers against all their better intentions, fought off the the Charger yet again. Um, Justin Herbert with his f- a glove on, finger in a splint, nail torn off, fractured finger, makes the big throw late to prevent themselves and keep themselves from Charger in that game away. Then he drops a Monty Python quote after, calls it a flesh wound, which is just tremendous all around from him. Um, you know, the Chargers just, they, they find themselves – no matter how things are going in these weird one-score games, no matter what is going on, whether it's the Vikings last week when you go for it on fourth down and don't get it, whether it's against AOC this week, Chargers can't help themselves. The Chargers tried the Charger, but the Raiders chargered harder. There you go. You cannot. There are, only, there are a few select teams that can out-charger the Chargers, and we've seen two of them so far this season. In the Vikings and the Raiders. Um, Justin Herbert's phenomenal. I just, you you run out of words for that guy. And it's not only, I think last week against the Vikings, he showed a lot of creativity 
under pressure, something that I didn't think he really tried to do as much of because he's so good at getting from one to two to three. But in this game, he makes the big scramble. He's He's got like one hand, like his he's got his hand left hand in the splint. The big throw on third down to Josh Palmer was just like, dude, that's you can't do anything but tip your cap. Like that's a charges the game type of throw. And it sucks because the Chargers are always going to find themselves in this kind of game. Um, Brandon Staley, once again, uh, you almost blew it, buddy. <laughs> You're on thin ice here. I get. I get going for it. I will. I have to say, I get going for it on fourth down. Doing a quarterback sneak with a guy with one hand and a splint, probably not what I go to. But I get going for it on fourth and one when you need three feet. So, you, you Brandon Staley's on thin ice, but he is he's skating on such thin ice right now. I don't know if that ice breaks against the Cowboys because that has a very large potential for that to be an ice break game but there as long as you got justin herbert you're going to be in a game brandon staley's safe for the foreseeable future and here's why jp because they dug out of the 0-2 hole they got to 2-2 and they got to the bye week the heat can kind of dissipate for a little bit and then they play on monday night football and while that is an island game um that is the the kellen moore under the microscope game Right, like if, if the Cowboys defense shows up and throws them around the way they've done three of their four opponents, shout out again to this mark. Um, you know, then Kellen Moore takes the heat for that one, not Brandon Staley. You know, and especially if the Cowboys red zone woes continue, then it's like, oh, Brandon Staley's defense woke up. Like that game is tailor made for Brandon Staley to kind of, you know, get out from under all this. But um, I digress. That's a two week from now problem. Final game uh, for us to discuss. The Cardinals kept a little bit of pace, Mark. By the way, none of us used the fast forward, um, except for Rayshon. Um, explains why I went yep. a little bit long here. Uh, Cardinals kept a little bit of pace, but the Niners are just a machine. They are they are the most inevitable team in the NFL. 35-16 to 16 the final score. They're undefeated now. They're three-and-a-half-point favorites against the Cowboys next week. They look like this is their year. I mean, they, they, they're just – I mean, what more is there to say? Yeah, I don't know what more there is to say. I mean, this offense just has so many different ways to beat you, so many different weapons to beat you with. CMC obviously had a fantastic game yesterday, but Purdy was, what, 5 of 5 for over 100 yards on throws 10 yards more downfield. And it, some of it, yes, is schemed up, obviously. But there are some throws that, look, he made. There are some plays that guys made on the under, other end of it as well. There's a great adjustment from Ayuk, I believe, on a throw that was a deep shot where he sort of made a great adjustment to the ball. This is a team that's fired and on all cylinders. And, you know, when you think about their defense and what that defense can do, yes, the Cardinals are a plucky team. They're a little bit better than we thought. And maybe that Jonathan Gannon hire wasn't as disastrous as some of the early season indications seem to make it. The 49ers are just fantastic. <laughs> what else do you got to say about the 49ers? They, they are legitimately the best team in the NFL. Like that's you. There's not a, there's not a legit way to beat them consistently. I mean, Christian McCaffrey's playing at not, a, not only offensive player of the year level, MVP level through the first part of the season. Um, the rapport with Brock Purdy and Brandon Ayuk has looked really nice to start the season. And they just, once they get up on you, they can just constrict everything because they move so fast on defense. And now you're pressing to try and get, take, uh, try and close the gap. And you're going to force them, you're going to make mistakes. 
they look like a wagon, man. They we're gonna see when they actually play like a a team of that caliber in Dallas next week, but they look like the best team in the NFL so far. You said it like they're uh, a boa constrictor. Like they'll just they'll wrap around you and hold on, and then they'll just swallow your body and eat you and digest you. I mean, like they're they're different. Um, and yeah, we'll see if the Cowboys can hang with them and beat them. And if the Cowboys do, a lot of people will crown Dallas. But I'm I'm too afraid of this team in the playoffs personally. Um, so yeah, but again, um, Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen. Like I think maybe like you know we're like, oh, the Eagles are kind of stumbling, you know, whatever. Even though they're four zero, turns out they lost two pretty good coordinators. You know what I mean? Like both their programs look pretty legitimate. Um, four games in. Uh, anyway, Rachel. Uh, please join us, um, and if you can let us know why you fast-forwarded through the Bengals game, um, uh, your takeaways from Sunday, and of course, who is the MFW MVP? You're muted, though. So, Sorry, guys. Uh, I thought JP went like this, so that's why I hit the... Yeah, see, I, that's what I thought, too, because uh, JP went like this, and that's when the button dropped. Yeah. <laughs> JP, did, that was your fast-forward, JP. Yeah. That was that was an unforced error on my part, but I was I was thinking about using the fast forward. Yeah, here. so that was actually why I okay. did it. So apologies on that one. But um, my biggest takeaways of this week: shout out to JP. Nobody is talking about the Ravens and how they have so many injuries. What? Sorry, hold on, hold on, I just have to say this: the, <laughs> the Raven. No, how he was talking about Lamar Jackson MVP for sure because the Ravens have so many freaking injuries mounted on them this season. And they had uh, three defensive backs go out yesterday. So it's just like all of these injuries piling up, and they are in full control of the AFC North. And so I just had to throw this out there. Steelers, I know we always give credit to Mike Tomlin, but I just don't see it this year. Like, they look really, really bad. Um, Also, this was DeMar Hamlin's first regular season game since the cardiac arrest, so one of the biggest notes of the week. And also, um, I wanted to talk about the Bucs safety, Antoine Winfield Jr. He had a really big game like it was a career game for him he finished with nine tackles he had a sack a quarterback hit a pass defense a forced fumble and a fumble recovery so that was another one of my takeaways for the week but you guys all had some really good points rj i liked your point on zach wilson and how he's lighting a flame for these fans there's hope there so we'll see how the rest of the season pans out mark i really liked your point on justin fields and how he looked good but at the end of the day it wasn't just a bad team and so let's see if he can do it again and then jp um i like your point about um anthony richardson and how it was a proof of concept uh also about the bills and how they are one of the best teams in the league but they still don't have von miller back and so what's it going to look like when he returns uh and so Based off of all of these points today, I'm gonna give it to JP. This is, this is my flu game, game, baby. This is my flu game right here. Uh, big couple of days for you, JP. Um, you head on down to the happiest place on earth. Um, your team get to win across the pond. Um, you get to watch them in Disney animation style. Um, and now this. I mean, what what more could you ask for conceivably out of life? I think if the if ESPN and Disney and the NFL wants to do another like animated style of game, do it in cars. Make make it cars. I think that'd be very funny. I think having the players be actual cars on the field would be hilarious because as a kid, what I used to do when I didn't have like the actual figurines was we had a we had a whole bunch of Hot Wheels, so I line up like 11 Hot Wheels and I pretend like to have them run an offense like it's like 
another set of 11 Hot Wheels that my brother had. So we run, we run like little plays, but that's just me being a nerd. But cars would be very cool. Have the play in Radiator Springs. You can do the entire thing. If they want to get with me, I can help them out with that. But Cars is my favorite Pixar movie, so they should do that. Um, I recently watched that movie for the first time like three weeks ago. Um, what? So, yeah, um, we my son was sick. Um, and so uh, my wife and I sat down and we were like, let's put a movie on. Um, and and then he didn't finish it. Um, yeah, Cars kind of is fantastic. Uh, but uh, but we we did, and it was all right. I mean, like I love them. I love cars. It it was okay. Um, I mean, it actually made me think of like it just made me excited for the next Grand Prix. This is really like how I felt about it, Mark. Um, now we haven't seen two or three. Uh, speaking of, I did look up. Two did not happen. There is like two a... did not happen. Cars <laughs> two did not happen. Just skip to three. Three is objectively like pretty yeah. good. Like it feels. It feels kind of like Lightning McQueen is like, does he still have it? Like, it's very much a, it's re it's really cool. I liked it more than a lot of people did, but Cars is my favorite Pixar movie ever. It's the coolest movie ever. When they did the little uh, Radiator Springs, when the city lights up and they played Life Could Be, yeah. Life oh. Be a Dream, that's one of my favorite in Pixar ever. It was very sweet. Um, I'm with you there, JP. Again, it made me feel, if anything, any strong emotion, um, sadness that I didn't watch it in its heyday because I'm sure there was like a great like PS2 or GameCube game um, around this. Like I, that's it. Just kind of had that vibe. Um, but uh, wow. So Cars Two off yep. the menu, I guess, in my household. Thanks to Mark. Um, okay, let's get out of here. And as we do, uh, JP, please sing "Life Is a Highway." I think, but like, put your own spin on it so we don't. Uh, so Michael Kiss doesn't get mad and we don't get like sued for anything. So I would, but my throat was, you know, built. Okay, it. then um, then do this. Um, what is your second favorite Pixar movie and why? Second favorite Pixar movie is WALL-E because it is a cute robot falling in love. And I think that is amazing.